Stand and stretch a little bit. Okay, for our second message today, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Matt Steele. It is entitled, Being Like Daniel. Good afternoon, everyone. I think you've got one more round of applause in you, don't you? How about our teachers? Thank you to our Sabbath school teachers. A lot of work every Sabbath, a lot of work throughout the week preparing lessons. And uh, I know there's always a mad scurry in our house before uh, we head off to church, making sure the class is, is ready. But they put in a lot of work to teach our young people. So. And if, uh, I, I don't think I would be out of place to also suggest that if anybody has an interest in helping with the Sabbath School program, please uh, see one of the teachers uh, or Steve or somebody that if you have an interest and you would like to volunteer. It is a lot of work and they would, they would certainly appreciate help and uh, maybe filling in once in a while, let them have a, a Sabbath off. How about that? You know, if you think about it, um, it might be a surprise to the younger ones uh, in our church, but I was actually a young person myself at some point. Um, I was a teenager at some point. Who here was a teenager? Are you not everybody sure about that? Who here was a teenager? Okay. Do you remember being a teenager? Sort of. Yeah. Me too. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this uh, in the light of the, uh, the awards that we've given today, the encouragement that we're trying to give our young people, our teenagers, our, our kids. The world is a challenging place, isn't it? I mean, you think back to when we were children at each of our different periods of time, right? And the world seemed um, better, didn't it? Doesn't, in your mind the world seemed better than it is today. And you know, and I can describe some of my experiences. I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, my teenage years in the 80s. And, and to some of you that are older than that, you probably think the 80s were pretty bad. <laughs> but to me, they were better, better than this, better than the challenges that our young people have, have to face today. The world back then, when I think about it, seemed like a kinder place. Maybe a more moral place, a more uh, spiritual place. In fact, uh, one of my favorite hymns, How Great Thou Art, you know that hymn? We sing it a lot in the worship team. I learned that at school. I didn't learn that song at church, oddly enough. I learned it at school. I remember very clearly the whole school was taught this song uh, by one of our uh, music teachers. And I think I was in junior school. And we were taught that in assembly. Because every day at school, we had assembly where we were given scriptures. We were taught out of the word of God. Can you imagine did anybody else experience that? Mark experienced that? Not many. You did. Yeah. 
wouldn't happen today, would it? Would not happen today. And that's just kind of emblematic, isn't it, of the challenges that our young people face today. Because a facet of support for having a moral life, for having a fabric that they can build their life on, has been taken away. And of course, it's now even more on churches and families to build that into their children. But yeah, I learned how great thou art in school. I do remember when I was in high school, we, had, uh, we still had assembly, and maybe things were changing. I remember some of the, uh, the teaching became a little bit more humanistic, maybe, you know, um, just more moral principled, a little less scripture, but, but there was still teaching there. And I, it, I remember there's one particular boy in our class, I think he was the only boy that didn't attend assembly. And he would, uh, he would have to go and sit outside the headmaster's room like he'd done something wrong. And his parents didn't want him to be in assembly. And we all figured it was because he was Muslim. And uh, so we, we didn't pay any more attention to that. Well, it wasn't until after I graduated high school and I somehow bumped into somebody that knew the family name, Aqua, and it turned out that they knew, oh yeah, uh, his dad is a worldwide minister. I thought that was pretty interesting. But the, he, didn't, <laughs> he didn't want his son to be in assembly. Well, I bet now he would take that, right, over what we have today. When I grew up in England, Mark can, can attest to this, you know, there were dangers. Of course, there was... There were still wars going on around the world. There was still dangers. I remember the threat of terrorism from the IRA was probably bigger than Islamic terrorism is today. Uh, there was always bombs going off, wasn't there, Mark? I mean, there was always traps and there was dangers. So uh, I'm not painting the world as though it was, you know, perfect. But I definitely feel but when I was younger, it was more moral. There was more spiritual strength in society. Things were better. There was injustices, but there was also an understanding of right and wrong. And there was the Ten Commandments. And they were still central, underpinning the fabric of society. And you could get that teaching in school and in church and even in society in general. You know, the reformations that we have seen in society hasn't been a reforming to the better, has it? It's been a degrading in society. When I grew up, there was no question about which bathroom to go to. And it's so ridiculous, isn't it? It is so crazy. And we, like Mark mentioned in the first message, would be looked at as so bigoted. I don't know. I'm pretty sure I know that I'm a man. I have all the equipment. And those of you that understand my medical conditions will know that I know I have all the equipment. This isn't hard. This is basic truth. 
This is how God created us, male and female. We didn't have all this confusion. We didn't have all this blurring of the lines. You know, I, I was thinking that we just take this to the next step, right? Because surely we can all identify as rich, right? Because if I can identify as a woman or something else, surely I can identify as rich, so you all should treat me like I'm rich. I'm special. I identify as the President of the United States. Doesn't make me President of the United States, does it? Now, Donald Trump might be thinking that. And what a crazy world we're in for that. But these, today, are times that are challenging. Challenging for our kids, our teenagers. And we maybe need to think about it a little bit more carefully. Think about the needs that they have. Because they have lost some of the support that we naturally had in society for keeping us on the straight and narrow. And now have enticing images and, and, and other ways of viewing the world. Well, if you don't like that flavor, you can go on to have this flavor. This other worldview, This other belief. Or none at all. And so, rightly so, our young people might ask the question, why should I continue being a Christian or, or coming to church and trying to have these Christian values? The whole world has moved on from that. It's not important anymore. We've become more enlightened. These are questions that our young people have to ask. It's pushed in their face. And we have to give them the tools and the ways to understand what the real answers to those questions are. And in the end, the answer to that question is very simple. And I was, I was listening to all the, the, the different quotes, the wise quotes that, that our teenagers came up with, and they're intelligent. They are smart kids, and they can work things out if we just give them the wisdom, the insight, so why should we continue in this faith? Why should we walk as Christians, followers of Jesus, in his commandments, loving him and putting him first? Why should we do that? Isn't that going to make our life harder? Well, yes. And no. It's simple. It seems difficult but it's simply found in the life of Daniel. We can just see from his experience a very simple lesson that can reorientate our minds and say, this is why we should continue in this way, in this faith. In Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jeho Je Jehoiakim, I'll get it right in a second. We even have a song, and I keep saying it right, wrong. King of Judah... Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, 
to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles and the young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. Now among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, and to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Very simple, quickly read passage, apart from the the odd names of kings. And yet we, we can overlook the impact that this one little passage had in Daniel. He's a young man, maybe even a teenager, torn away from his life, torn away from his family, ripped from the country that he, he knew, the only country that he had ever known, taken against his will, to a strange land filled with different languages and different faiths and practices, cultures, all kinds of strange and probably interesting things. But what would that do to us if that happened to us when we were teenagers? What kind of turmoil could that create in a young person's life? How would you have reacted? How would you have dealt with this situation? I'm sure there must have been people with Daniel that we don't read about that didn't react very well. That probably lost their minds. This didn't work out. Maybe checked out. This isn't a nice, clean, hey, we're inviting you over to come over here. These are people in bondage, taken away, and put albeit in a captivity of of gold, right? Especially with Daniel. I don't know if you've read some of the stories or heard some of the stories of the the people from Syria and parts of Iraq that are are escaping to the West. Harrowing story. Just will break your heart to, to be seeing your loved ones Dying, your children falling in the water and drowning, leaving your family as it is and trying to get to Europe so that you can maybe send money to bring them back. Just terrible, terrible price that people were so desperate they were prepared to pay. They were prepared to risk everything. And I've talked about this before, but it's... A, it's an accurate reflection, isn't it, of the kinds of turmoil that happened to the people of Judah and to Daniel and his friends. These refugees, they all suffer from PTSD and all kinds of psychological disorders, and it's going to take a long time for them to get whole, 
to, to get to a place where that grief is not so overbearing. This must have been similar to what Judah experienced, the people of Judah. And, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But with Daniel, they not only survived this experience, they thrived in Babylon. And that of itself is interesting. Because in spite of everything that happened to them, they didn't plot schemes to kill the king. They didn't conspire to, to overthrow their guards and escape and get back to Jerusalem. That could have easily been the narrative. But instead, they accepted what was given to them. And they thrived in it. So, that got me thinking, why... Why did that happen? Why was Daniel and his friends able to endure all of that? Why did they thrive in the midst of all of that? What was it about Daniel that helped him, that prepared him for that future? Well, we don't have a lot about his, his growing up. I mean, we're really just introduced to Daniel at the beginning of the book that bears his name. But there are some things that we can tell that he probably experienced, that the, the kind of environment that he was under. Daniel lived under two kings of Judah. I guess technically three. One of them lasted three months. But he lived under two specific kings in Judah. The first is my favorite king after David. He, he may actually even be my favorite king. I have some problems with David. And that was Josiah. Josiah the reformer. The one that restored Judah to the faith of Yahweh, that restored the temple, that, that saved that generation to have another period in the land and to not be in captivity. And Josiah himself, he came to the throne at eight years of age. And then by the time he was about 18, they discovered the, the book of the law. And he started that, that restoration. In 2 Kings verse 22, uh, chapter 22 and verse 1, he says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter uh, Adadiah of Boscath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside the right hand or to the left. And Josiah was an unusual king because most of the ones that preceded him, as we know, were just awful. They did not follow God. They did not keep his commandments. And they went off sacrificing to false gods and other things. Israel was a monarchy. An absolute monarchy. Anybody know what happens in an absolute monarchy? What the king wants, the king gets. How the society is a reflection of the king. Because society will do what the king says. If you want to live, this is the way it is. So we follow it. 
It's interesting, isn't it, that even though we don't have a monarchy anymore, it seems to be that way again, doesn't it? But what the leader wants, the leader gets in society, even if a lot of us disagree with it. And so here we have the kingdom of Judah restored because we had a righteous king. And so this was the setting that Daniel was born in. So he grew up in the period of the Reformation. He grew up in that period where God was first. The true God was first. And that must have enabled him to have an incredible education, clearly. And of course he was privileged. He was one of the nobles or one of the descendants of the kings. But he was blessed by that. And that was part of what strengthened him, educated him. But then, Josiah died, as we know. And what would happen would not only change Judah, but Daniel forever. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 1, it says, Then the people of the land took uh, Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's palace in Jerusalem. And Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king. And he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Not a very long reign. And now the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a tribute of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. And then the king of Egypt made Jehoaz's brother, Eliakim, king over Judah and Jerusalem and changed his name to Jehoiakim. And Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and carried him off to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, then came up against him, bound him in bronze feathers, bronze feathers to carry him off to Babylon. Finally, really bringing about the judgment that God had already made. Josiah was a reprieve. And what we now have is God's judgment on Judah coming to pass. Just as, just as Jeremiah had foretold it. So, Daniel was born in this period of reformation where he was able to teach and live the, the, the right faith of God, follow after God in freedom and in, and in peace. And then a new king came along who was evil, who put back all the things that Josiah had taken away and turned the people back against God. So the question is, what did that do to Daniel? How did that affect Daniel? Born and raised under a good king, and then came to age under an evil king. And you, you naturally have to think about those things. The moral implications, the changes in society and religious practice that would have followed because of that king. What was once outlawed, right? 
what Josiah once said, do this and you die, set up an Asherah again and you're gone, is now called good. Hmm. Does that happen today? Sure does. I think, I remember, I maybe had been in the U.S. for just a few years when I remember that Texas had finally repealed its sodomy laws. Well, how about that? In less than 20 years, we've gone from repealing the sodomy laws to now you can get married. Right? These are the kinds of changes that would have happened, and probably more rapidly in a monarchy where you have to, don't have to deal with those pesky democratic processes. So Daniel would have looked at this world that we have today and seen some similarities. What was once wrong is now right. And what was right is now bigoted and wrong. That's the world that he started to come of age into. That's the world that he was forced to stand against. You see, Daniel's trial of faith did not start in Babylon. It started in his own country. And we kind of forget that. And perhaps in some ways, going to Babylon may have been a liberation, in a sense. His first experience of foreign gods and religions was not in Babylon. It was in Judah. And he probably was mocked firstly in Judah for his faith, not in Babylon. Renee pointed out to me this morning when we were talking about this that it's entirely likely that Babylon was more accepting of the, the worship of Yahweh than Judah was. Because it was a very pluralistic society. Oh, you do that? Oh, that's great. Very accepting. And in fact, by pulling these individuals in, they were looking for wisdom from, from other faiths and other cultures, trying to absorb into this huge empire the wisdom of, of those that they've conquered. So, before he arrived in Babylon, with all the challenges that he would face in captivity, all the challenges that he would face to his life because of his faith, he had already experienced those challenges in his own country. So for our young people, our teenagers, our children, and us adults, we have to recognize that we are living in similar times to what Daniel experienced. We haven't yet gone into captivity. I suppose that's one thing at least not of the kind that Daniel's talking about. We don't have time today to read the entire book of Daniel, but if, if you read just those first six chapters, which are really the, the story of Daniel, before we get into the, the, the deeper prophecies, you can see those life experiences, you can see his faith, his endurance, and it really gives us an insight into how we can live in this age, in this world. He was bold. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, whether God saves us or not, the king should know we will not bow down to the image. That's just the way it is, like what Mark was talking about earlier. Gives us insight, encourages us. Daniel never returned to his homeland, as we know. He died in Babylon after living a really incredible life. Blessed. He was an advisor to at least three kings of Babylon and Persia. And he was, I think, one of the greatest prophets of the Bible. Being used by God to prophesy what is now our history. Right? The rise of Persia. The rise of the Greco-Macedonian Empire. Now, Alexander the Great. The rise of Rome. That's now our history. And he foretold it through the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and, and through his own prophetic experiences. Except for a few dangerous times, the odd scuffle with the lion, his faith endured regardless, and he was blessed. And then, I think probably one of the most incredible things that Daniel ever did was his prayer. You remember it? Reminding God, hey, you said, you said, after 70 years, we could go home. And what was it? The angel told him, from the moment that you prayed, the command was given. Daniel moved heaven. He moved God to remember his promise and start that restoration back to, Ju to Judah. So let me ask you, was Daniel taken into captivity because of his faith? No. Captivity was coming anyway, wasn't it? It had nothing to do with him. He had no way of, of changing the events. It was a judgment on the nation. It was a judgment on the king. Regardless of what Daniel did, what was coming was going to come. Was Daniel's life made more difficult at times because he obeyed God? Absolutely. But what's interesting about that is we don't have the other story, do we? We can't jump into a parallel universe where Daniel gave up on his faith and see how his life played out. But I think we would all guess it would not have ended in a book called Daniel. It would not have been the life that we now know. Was Daniel's life blessed because of his faith? Absolutely. Absolutely it was. We can just see it. We can see it through his experience. And so Daniel is very much like you and I. I mean, we're all good looking like he was. You all agree to that, right? And we're all very intelligent and, you know, the cream of the crop. Well, maybe you guys are. But like him, we find ourselves in a world that is turned upside down. Things that were good are now bad. Things that were bad are now called good. And we were warned that that would happen. 
but it's still troubling when it appears. This distorted world turned on its head. But that isn't something new either, because it's happened many times before. It's happened in the, the experiences of Israel and in Judah. It's even happened in other empires, such as Rome. And that's a fascinating read of itself. But we are like Daniel, and our young people even more so. The world that they're growing up in will be difficult. There will be challenges. Difficulties that are going to come on them. But, and here's the thing that we should help them understand. Those are coming anyway. Those are coming anyway. Not because of our faith. Not because we go to church on Sabbath and we're a little strange to, to others that, that go to church on Sunday. But not because we keep God's law or, or observe the holy days. Those, those things may bring some of their own challenges. But the big ones that come on life are coming anyway. So, instead of asking the question about whether or not we should continue in this way, because life's going to come at us and going to challenge us and maybe overcome us. The reverse of that is actually true. Jesus said something that we often misunderstand. In John uh, chapter 16 and verse 33, it's just a short little line. And it says, Jesus said, These things I've told you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And it's easy to look at that and say, things will be easier for me. Because Jesus has overcome the world. But is that what he really said? <laughs> is that really what he said? The first statement in that verse, you will have trouble. Period. You will have trouble. Trouble is going to come. It may not be orchestrated by anybody. Just life has troubles. And then he says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So what is he getting at? What does he really mean? We still have trouble in school. We still have trouble in finances. We have, we have trouble with relationships. We, there's troubles that come on countries, nations. The world brings trouble. We live on easy street by comparison to parts of the world where there's always trouble. We'll have trouble in this world with or without Jesus. And that's something that I really just hope I can get <laughs> into my boy's mind. That the world is going to bring trouble to your door. If you don't have Jesus there with you, you're on your own. We're on our own. 
But what does Jesus mean by when he says, I have overcome the world? And surely that means he's made it easier. <laughs> no. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 6, he uses the same term. Only instead of applying it to him, it's to us. He said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I'm thirsty. I want to overcome the world. And he's asked us, he who overcomes, overcomes the world, just as he did. His life, his death, and life again didn't take away the troubles of the world, did it? It didn't make things easier. It made it possible for us to overcome as well. Made it possible for us to overcome. His spirit in us, giving us, what is it that we were, uh, the character traits that we were pulling out and, and talking about our children? Endurance, persistence. Giving that endurance and that persistence to overcome the world. Faith and love. That's what Jesus gives us. Here with us. Giving us the certainty that no matter what, he has already done it and will do it again with us. We can endure. We can conquer this world. Our young people, our teenagers, our children, the answer to Mark's question earlier, I believe, is this. They are called today, and maybe tomorrow, and the day after that. If the parable of the wedding supper is our example, then the calling is to all. They are called. They are called to be like Daniel. They are called to live like Daniel, to love the Lord, to have a deep and abiding relationship with him. Even in this troubled age, just like Daniel, in that troubled world that he experienced. Our young people, our teenagers, are special. You are beautiful. You are made not just in the image of your parents, but in the image of our eternal Father. He loves each and every one of you. He wants you to walk with him, to grow with him. Jesus gave his life for you. He wants you to follow him to overcome this world in every stage and in every way. And he will be there no matter what. And he will be with us in every challenge. The Apostle Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do 
for his good pleasure. But not on our own. He is working that salvation in us. Working in each one of us, unique to each one of us, and to our own life experience. A personal relationship. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That verse was for us today, isn't it? Again, Paul experienced the same society, the same world that we have now. So he knew what he was talking about. And he says that we are the children of God and we are lights. Our children, our young people, our teenagers are lights in this world. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Each one of us each one of our children, our young people, our teenagers, us as adults, each one of us are called to be those lights. We're called to shine. We are called for times like this. It's easy to shine, isn't it? In assembly, in school, when everyone else is there doing the same thing. It's not hard to shine at that moment. But what is hard to do is shine in the world that we have today. We have all been made and been called to live a life like Daniel. In fact, in the last chapter of his book, he says this. Chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, at, the time, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands over, watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise. I heard a lot of wise sayings from our teenagers. Those that are wise. All of us here who follow Jesus. We follow him regardless of the troubles of the world. Because they're going to come anyway. If we are wise and follow him. We shall shine like the brightness in the firmament. firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. I want to shine. I want you to shine. I want our children to shine. This is the calling for our young people. This is what they're called to be. They are called to be children of God, to be lights in the darkness. They can shine in Christ Jesus. We should look at every opportunity to encourage them. 
every opportunity to feed into them this truth. The trouble will come. Difficulty in life will come. It's better to meet it with Jesus at our side and overcome the world with him.